1: Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. I'm Matt, and we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art, trailers, and behind the scenes. But guess what? This one's not on VHS. it's Terminator Salvation. But you know what's more important than what we're doing is who we're doing it with.
2: Oh my God,
3: <laughs> Ashley.
2: <laughs> It's Ashley. Hi, I'm back. I just can't stay away from a good franchise movie.
1: Oh, and remind them what you and Matt do when you're not doing this
2: i mean besides getting stoned and eating yummy snacks we also get stoned eat yummy snacks and watch the 100 greatest films on the afi list from 1998 on our podcast the af high list
1: yes 100 and you're already halfway through
2: yes we're halfway through and it was exhausting and we can't wait to do the last 50 films since you're through 50
1: Do you think that they should, well, obviously they'll update it, but do you think it should be updated with, say, like, a younger perspective? I would
2: say that it's not obvious that they will update it because they updated it once 10 years after, and now it's been, like, 13 years or something Mm -hmm. or 12 years Mm -hmm. since, and I just don't know if there's a plan to update the list, and the last update was very, very light. It was pretty much the same or if they were adding any movies, it was still a bunch of older movies, which is fine. They're good. (laughs) For the most part, this list has been very good. Um, But I do think there needs to be some kind of younger perspective because I think we have had very significant and like memorable films in the past couple of generations here. So it would be a little bit refreshing to see some different titles on there.
0: Yeah, I think of a movie like Terminator 2 or like Jurassic
2: Park. Jurassic Park, we say all the time, would absolutely be on there because of like, it's just, it's reach. And like the effects, those
0: dinosaurs are real. (laughs) You know, and then like the Ferris Buellers and things like that. I just feel like movies that have become classics to our generation and the generations around us sort of need to be considered to be put on the list now for an update. It's due for an update for Mm -hmm. sure. Well, what they
1: do in sports, like in baseball, they have like the best baseball players from world war two and up. And then the best baseball players from world war two below. Mm -hmm. I wondered if, because film changes so radically, like every I don't know I'm just gonna say 30 years I don't know if that's true I'm just saying it it kind of is yeah that like if we should tier these off like the best films from the 1920s to 50s the best films from the 50s until the 90s and then kind of make our a new because of how much cg computer graphics changed everything that like Mm -hmm. maybe it should be a tier of the 90s and up because I feel like the youths you know the the you know like me the grandpa millennial and i think you're both firmly millennial yeah of course you're yeah, right? we're, we're, yeah we're, we're right in the middle yeah we're right in the middle of millennial well i'm an old millennial i forget the i forget the years so you know it's already affecting me I'm <laughs> <laughs> i mean like we also can't remember a goddamn thing <laughs> we're already old as well <laughs> So it's kind of like I feel like we're we're not represented at all in all of these giant lists,
2: no, because like think about like when people look fondly on like eighties films which are very limited in their representation, I think on the greatest list, like we are defined by like John Hughes movies, and like there's not a John Hughes movie inside on that list, right it could be any of them, you know, like but I think that's like some movies that were more significant on like informing the generations that grew up with it and a lot of those movies that were in the 60s like they informed that generation they were talking about a lot more about political stuff back then well we have those movies that are happening like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that could be reflected on even now but i'm just assuming that when you make a list you kind of like don't include stuff that's so recent because you almost need to see their lasting effects but like now the 80s and 90s were a minute ago you know Yeah, we're thirty now, so like, that's thirty years. You just said every thirty years, films change.
0: Yeah, we're due. It's definitely due for it.
2: Absolutely,
0: a new make like makeover with some definite like retrospect, looking at. I would call it a refresh. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely, it's definitely due for a refresh. Yeah, because there are no John Hughes movies. Terminator Two is not on there, you know. And I think these are, and their rubric of like being the first T two. Is a groundbreaking movie for special effects, so why isn't that included? And then, like, yeah, John Hughes, like you said, informed so much of a generation. But I guess I'll just be stuck watching, like, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the irritation where you You need to have kind of like a tier of aged voters. Mm -hmm. Your 80s and 70s get so many points, your 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s. You know what I mean? Like, where, where there's like, you can't have too much weight on people that are older, too much weight on people that are younger when it comes to these. If they even do it that way, that's the way I would do it. But mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the best way, but that's a whole different podcast. I think it's so, so interesting that you get to look through all these generational
0: great movies Yeah,
1: 40s, 40s 50s, 60s, and some 80s, 70s, you know. I, I did the Star Wars, so they mm-hmm. at least hit, you know, Jaws is on there, so they hit some 70s. Very few '80s, like you're saying though like what?
3: Yeah, 80s? what's in the '80s? Like just ET, ET, Raiders. Wow. Um, but it's
1: pretty much just
2: Spielberg. Yeah, it's just Spielberg. It's, so I think it's because, like, clearly, and that's why we say, like, obviously, like, I think Jurassic Park would fit in nicely because they obviously respect Spielberg, and a lot of most people respect Spielberg. I think as a filmmaker and a visionary, and like the themes that they were presenting in Jurassic Park are like very specific themes that are. It's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, The play on, like, God and Man-Made and, like, Dinosaur Extinction. Like, the effects were incredible. There's a lot of stuff going into it where I think it could be included on that. But other than, like, the, the prestige of Spielberg, like, there really aren't any movies. Like, on the refresh, they added, like, Toy Story. Titanic. Titanic, which I think is just, like... I see why, but like I think there are other movies that could be included on the list rather than just a couple ones that really did well at the box office.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would be really interested when you get to the end of your list of like what ones you could easily
0: kick off to put mm-hmm. on modern. Yes, now, I think there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot. I mean, there is a lot of stuff we've loved. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. for sure. And maybe it even is like a 50-50 split. I don't know. We'd have to go back and look. But like, there's a lot that you can that we don't need. that are not like in in any way could be considered the greatest of all time sorry I talked about the last episode talking about again like Annie Hall come on Jesus Christ there's no way that that's one of the greatest 100 greatest films of Birth of a Nation got kicked off the list already you know no way no way that's one of the best American films of all time come on
1: (laughs) I look forward to when you finish it to see your list you
2: yeah I think we will do like a special Um, celebration episode where we kind of like, we'll probably take a week. It's going to take a while to kind of reorganize. I think what we're going to do is like reorganize the list in a way and we can like share it on social media and kind of just go over the, the high points of where we would put some of the films they suggest would be, though, on 100 Greatest. And then, like, we would have, like, a whole section of where we would talk about our
0: nominations for it, I guess. Yeah, nominations for the next round mm-hmm. if they do it again.
2: Which would be really fun to do, like, with friends. Like, we would obviously, I feel like that would be fun to have, like, a series of having people on and just kind of talking about, like, what they consider, like, in their lifetime, maybe. Uh-huh. Like, what are some of the, your best movies? And I'm sure, Steve, you would probably put, like, The Terminator, <laughs> like, some kind of fair franchise into the mix
1: (laughs) well i mean you got the terminator that like so many people copied and made Mm -hmm. it changed the sci-fi genre the sci-fi horror genre alien and terminator yes they both did i mean when that's such a respect when everyone else tries to rip you off
2: It's also like Spielberg. Now we're in a time like presently. And even like I would say it was more popular like a year or two ago where that Spielberg kind of vibe with like Stranger Things. And, you know, there's just so much like paying homage to that Mm -hmm. kind of creator. And it's like that means that they were clearly doing something that left a mark
1: for us. That's part of my like things you have to hit on a checklist to be a classic. Is mm-hmm. did you make an impact? Yes. And yeah, Annie Hall, that surely did make an impact on me. I've seen it twice. So have I. I've so given <laughs> it a chance twice. Either way, I was like, meh, okay. Yeah, it just wasn't for us. Let's get into a movie that I know, I know is for you two.
3: <laughs>
1: and I know Ashley's like, I'm doing this one and I don't care about anything else. I'm doing yes terminator salvation
3: we've been fighting a long time we are outnumbered by machines humans have a strength that cannot be measured this is john connor if you're listening to this You are the Resistance. I thought I knew our enemy. Something has changed. Skydive. It's taking human prisoners. Replicating human tissue.
0: Let's see what we've got here.
3: And in this future... I don't know that we can win this war.
0: This thing
2: is something we've never seen before.
3: My name is Marcus Wright. You think you're human? I am human.
0: Now there's a reason that like we've gotten particularly excited to do Salvation. Uh Ashley really wanted to come on for this one particularly, because we're big fans of the film's director, Mr. McGee. Mick McGee, baby. One of the things you talked about in the last episode was like sort of how we went from like Cameron to Jonathan Mostow, who was more just like a director for hire. It was a McDonald's Frankenstein movie. It didn't have a vision behind it. Now this is exciting going into this because we do have somebody with a vision and somebody I think with a vision who doesn't really get a lot enough credit for being such a brilliant visual director, Yeah. Mr. McGee.
1: <laughs> Great nickname for a, uh, a director. I can tell you that Joseph McGintley Nickel. Yep. Yeah. Nickel. His last name Nickel. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fun. That name. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I had to look at that for a second. And I'm like, wait a minute, Ashley. McGee? What is it? The same spelling? Well, it's N I C H. No, no, no,
2: no, no. It's never the same spelling for me. Yeah.
1: Why? Well, <laughs> but that's Nichols—an interesting last name because there's a lot of ways to spell it.
2: Oh yeah, like no one ever knew how to spell my last name. <laughs> they always added an S to like Nichols, like the trolls mm, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, McGee, I think yeah, he like gives himself like kind of a star name and yeah. like you know what. I think the Mick G, he almost like branded himself, right? Exactly, and and like it feels like a brand because Charlie's Angels early on. I'm obsessed with Charlie's Angels. Like, Me too. I adore it and what he did with that film I thought was so fun and fresh and interesting and exciting and like his action sequences are always wonderful
0: right and and even even going beyond that like into like Charlie's Angels uh, 2 which I know doesn't get as much it. sort of praise as the first one does but I think it deserves it I think it is almost as good not quite as good but like almost as good as the original and visually amazing mm-hmm. and then recently we've seen McGee uh, kind of come back with a vengeance with uh, The Babysitter on Love Netflix, uh, which is something that uh, we talked about on this podcast and, and comes up quite a bit on this podcast, uh, being uh, one of the more recent or genre things that we've like fallen totally in love with. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Mick G's kind of an awesome guy and having him kind of come in the series after such a lackluster visual movie and come in with like a visual arsenal and, and do something that's kind of different for him because prior to this, it had just sort of been more full throttle, you know, like the, the Charlie's angels kind of things. And, uh, and now him doing something, Within a, a different franchise and darker, more serious. I would
1: say more grown up.
0: <laughs> more grown up. But it's really cool to see his style put together with the Terminator franchise.
1: Yeah, I, I can certainly say that McG came on hard when he like came out with these. Charlie's Angels made a ton of money. Charlie's Angels, Full made a lot of money. We Are Marshall didn't. Because I just don't think, I think there's so many damn sports movies that come out. and it I felt- think when that one came out, I think it had already,
0: like it was too late for big sports movies. Right, it was like right after like
1: the remember the Titans. Lights
0: and Remember the Titans. And by that time we didn't need We Are Our
1: <laughs> Yeah, but Terminator Salvation made money. Not as much as say like T2 or anything, but it made money. And this means war made money. I've still never seen this this uh means war
0: that it was it's bad it's unfortunately pretty bad but did i see it yeah that's a reese reese witherspoon tom hardy chris pine spy versus spy romance triangle thing
2: i would say that's the most like hollywood movie like type of it's i think it was mainly like here's a really good cast
1: make a
0: movie right right right.
1: three days to kill with uh
0: Kevin kevin costner never i've never seen that one actually okay
1: well it's it's I, I know a lot of people say it's bad and it didn't make money. That was the problem is you got a couple of these where you're like, uh, you know, what type of director are you, Mick G? I think he actually determined what type of director he was with The Babysitter. Where Netflix yes. goes, you know what? Yeah, not only that, we're going to give you another movie called The Rim of the World and we're going to let you do a sequel to The Babysitter. So bring it on. I think he's found his his niche.
2: I think it's always been there because like, obviously I see Charlie's Angels and I would, if you watch Charlie's Angels next to Babysitter, I think there's a lot of crossover mm-hmm. parallel in style and filmmaking. It's its like that fun, dark, twisted, silly humor mm. in a way. And I think that maybe he, he became like a really big director. He obviously did this film. Like that's a big, to take on a franchise like that, that's huge. Yeah. So like clearly there was a lot of trust on him. And I think he's maybe just like, tried a bunch of different stuff in hollywood because he like had so much access to it and now he's like kind of refining which i'm happy to see because yeah i feel like a lot of big directors they do that thing where they're like i'm kind of just doing it for paychecks or for practice or trying different styles and i'm like um do you kind of belong in this fun wacky world
0: yeah where what he's fallen into now is exactly where he needs to be (laughs)
2: that being said this film which i feel like is the most like Dark and ominous and serious of his works that I've seen. Like I've pretty much mainly only seen the wacky fun ones. Um, but I think he did a really good job on this one. It was successful, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm actually surprised that it got cancelled. Like all the sequels that were planned in the future. Yes. Obviously, I don't think it's the best terminator film, but um uh certainly it destroys the last one. <laughs> yes.
3: I think almost
1: it's
2: best when you watch the third one before it.
0: Yeah. Is
2: because it, then you're like, oh, thank God, something that's trying.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there's like you have something to grab onto with this one. It's like, okay, it is like visually interesting. And there's more going on here than the last one. Like
1: when you watch it from the third one on, you're like, okay, someone has a vision. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You can disagree with it or like it. He has his own vision. That's cool to see. You're trying something new with the story, whether you like it or not. Thank God you're trying something new.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: I think it was so refreshing to not have Arnold
0: in it. It was, it was, and to not have like another T1000 knockoff villain. Yes. And whereas the villain is still Skynet in general. So we have a bunch of different Terminators in this one. Yeah. And no Arnold was kind of refreshing. Uh, it, it was just, a, it was a nice change of pace, and I, I just, I feel like truly, this is my favorite post-two sequel. I mean, they're like, uh, spoiler alert for the upcoming episodes, I feel like this one just blows the other two out of the water still, too.
1: <laughs> this one, to me, always gets one thing right, is you're, you're actually, two. like, this the nice thing about James Cameron was he had a vision, he stuck to it, and he created what he wanted to see. Mick G creates what he wants to see on film. Mm -hmm. And I could really, really tell from behind the scenes. And it's kind of, I love to see solo visions. Yeah. We just don't get it enough. And it started in the 90s. I'm sure it started before that. But I recognized it in the 90s with the, you know, Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen and you have the Frankenstein movies put together. And Matt and I have covered a lot of them because it probably more started in the 80s. Uh, but in the '90s, it's prominent. There's so many. Of course, I don't have an example right now, but we've covered a bunch of them.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice to just you can feel it when a filmmaker. Is excited about his own project. <laughs> is, is Yeah, yeah. It, and, and has like a singular vision too. Like when you can feel it when this is coming from a filmmaker or an auteur, if you will, if you like are looking into like film theory or whatever, you can tell versus something that has been manufactured and or Frankenstein. Yeah,
1: and this one, I think the conceptual visual, the conceptual design of all the Terminators and the Terminator world mm-hmm. after the... After Judgment Day, the second Judgment Day, which this film kept, uh, which I thought was a lot of respect because I think they should Mm -hmm. erase the third one altogether. But because it was set in the future, 2018, eh, they're like, whatever, that last film doesn't affect us. We'll just be respectful to the people who made it. And I think actually the reason that was was because some of these German producers stuck on.
2: Yeah, I think it's really interesting too. like a conversation of like the the reboot and sequel format now where truly we are in a time where it's totally fine to just erase certain parts of the franchise. Because like with Halloween, we're we're completely erasing everything after one, Mm. whereas before it erased everything after two. It's like we are picking what we want, whereas it's really nice to see that mcg took this and was like okay if you wanted to have a marathon like it's not pointless in watching three yeah (laughs) like he gave there is a respect level there i think to the time and effort of the characters created and he did that yeah like the the timeline i mean he's i feel like it's crazy he's respecting every single one of the films before it so much Yeah, yeah absolutely well, and also he has the wife still in his, yeah, it's a, uh, Bryce it, Dallas Howard.
0: Right. The Claire Danes character mm-hmm. does hold over. The the different timeline of the Judgment Day is held over. But then the movie then functions as almost like a prequel to the yeah. first one. Then kind of besides that, which I think is really interesting there, where this movie kind of falls in, in a bunch of places on the timeline because we weren't in a place where we were erasing sequels in 2009. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I, I'm impressed that he even went well, they asked Claire Danes to return. And she just
3: didn't I was like to. no.
1: <laughs> and Nick Stahl kind I mean, he wasn't fully in his pro, he's had a lot of problems. Um mm-hmm. and but I mean both of them just declined to return. So I mean I at least he I like went out of his way to like ask them. Yeah, I don't think they really want the producers wanted them to come back sure but um no i think once like McGee fully came on they're like no let's let's go in a different direction but um,
2: I, a correct direction yes. i feel like
1: and then but i guess even more than some of the producers sticking on what i didn't realize and i just watched the behind the scenes before we did this podcast was it's the same writers the screenwriters but mm. the big difference is it's just these two guys
0: yeah, they got rid of a, one of the writers, which I don't know. I'm not saying they were the problem, but just having too many boys having. Yeah, like a, a writing team versus like a writer's room, I think benefited this movie a little bit better. I mean, let's be honest, the, the script for this movie isn't like great. Like this is a visual movie. Like it's not like an amazing script or anything like that. Like, yeah. but it's better than the last one for sure.
1: Well, what was interesting was, is the writers had a lot of say in who directed this, and they went through a Hmm. lot of different directors. So these two guys have a lot of power on this, which I guess means to me, the producers understood, like, you two have a division to find someone who wants to go into your division. And they said Mick G wasn't even on their first or second list. Wow. Going through all these directors And they said, while we talked to a lot of talented men and women, they just all wanted to do their thing. But we wanted our vision. And they said when Mick G came in, his energy and excitement of like what he wanted to do matched theirs so much that they're like, I can't believe we're about to hire the guy who did Charlie's Angels. But we
2: are. Mm -hmm. But like, that's a great. That's a great person to have because it's like, oh, you can't believe you're going to do. think about how much money Charlie's Angels made. Exactly. So, like, and I think it's also great that you watched the behind the scenes and you said it was, like, stacked, right?
1: Oh, it was. Yeah. This, yeah. The anthology they did for this was incredible.
2: Mid G's movies always come with a shit ton of bonus features because I remember being a kid and, like, worshipping... Charlie's Angels. And like I lived in those bonus features. Like Mm. he he gave he gives you so much. And that just means like I think there's like a level of care. And yeah, like you said, excitement. That's really fun to hear the writers being so like energized by his energy.
0: And I think McGee is a fan too. And I think that comes through. I feel like he's a fan of the Terminator series, but not so much that he's doing like a ton of fancers. He's just doing the right amount of it. I feel like he's Um,
2: following the story that was presented in the first two. Yeah, and like he's just
0: like, besides being a fan, yeah, that excitement is absolutely comes through, you know? Like I I don't know. I just think it's so important to have somebody like this behind your movie and making like a singular vision.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really nice. And it's what I think you said like so many of Mick G's movies come with so many behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I have a theory why. And it has to do because he's a visual director and I think it's and the there's so much thing. yes <laughs> and I think the same thing with Steven Spielberg's movies or say someone like Tim Burton mm-hmm. is they believe in conceptual design so much that they have just pages and files just so many gigs of crap mm-hmm. It's not actual crap but that's the way I'm saying it. it's like they have so much to, to choose they, from to choose from that you get this and mcg had everything storyboarded out. He's a very kind dictator because Uh he's so visual. He has everything ready to go. He tells people on set, he would announce, we're doing this. This is why this is happening. Not this, this. And then I could see him. He was instructing people. He was being a director. Yeah. Which I was impressed with because he came from such a visual, you know, like music videos and everything like that. But maybe, maybe I shouldn't be surprised maybe because visual you know these visual people have everything planned out kind of like an animation so well that it's good to have these really rigid plans but at the same time he seems flexible enough to realize eh, maybe this will work maybe that will work
2: and i think that's I why
1: he makes interesting visual movies
2: i don't know if it is like a thing like there's so many people we've been watching so many movies during like this quarantine time but like so many people did come like a lot of visual people we love came from music videos Uh and like i think there is something very specific about the brain of someone who can create a successful batch of music videos because like there are so many like moving parts and like whereas a lot of people are like oh we'll think of it later i think it is way more like purposeful and well-intentioned when they literally can see there's also a a sense of clarity almost Mm -hmm. where you're like i can see this entire thing from start to finish that is so much brain power that i don't even know if i could do that (laughs) Um, but so it's like really impressive and i always notice it with directors who i find out worked with music videos a lot and it's like yeah I think they really are into the conceptualizing and then I think everything may be easier for them because they're like well I already know how it's supposed to look and also I like there's a sense of like if something goes wrong well they already know how it's supposed to look so they will find a way to get it to the point of which it needs to be they don't just like panic I feel like a lot of film productions you can tell just fall apart because one thing went wrong like someone backed out of casting or some effect happened, but like, you know, you just got to like rally (laughs) and get it going.
1: Well, I imagine that's okay. So Ashley, you've acted uh, Matt, you know, you've written directed. Imagine going into this when you're an actor or anyone production, everything. If you've got an entire script, that's good. Obviously we need a set script, which is Mm -hmm. so nice, but your mental models in your head can be different off of, the written work you can yeah. read it and have a different mental model than the actor next to you or the set designer next to you i wonder like if they put same thing with animations when you have them all put together on these storyboards everyone's mental models of what's going to be is starting to match up better mm-hmm. and you get a more cohesive movie no i think that's totally what it is it's like that's why
2: i think I always say in life and everything, the, the art of communication is so valuable because like the more you understand about someone else's mind and like, especially if you have like the common goal of like getting an image to be as exactly how you want it to be, if you can communicate it clearly and other people can understand it, it makes everything so much easier. We were just watching a movie watching where we found out like they were
0: writing the script as it was going
2: oh it was wes craven um on screen
0: three. oh Scream three yeah the movie was being like written as they were making it and it's very obvious
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, and wes was yeah and like wes is i would say like a almost like a visual yeah. creator and everything mm-hmm. with the first two films i think they're companion pieces well this one he was like forced by contracts. The, the studio was a nightmare. The writers were all over the place. He didn't like anything. So literally, they were fixing it as they were going. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that there was like a disillusionment there. So it wasn't driven by him.
0: No, it was driven by the studio. It was driven and you by tell. the
2: studio. And you can tell. I still like the third one. But like, it's, you know, you know what it's it is. bad.
0: Yeah, you know
2: what it is, though, you know. Like so it- there's like a huge difference. That's an example with like... Literally a guy who is known as like a horror god, and he has a clunky movie because not everyone
0: was on the same page. Right. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it always helps when yeah. everybody's
2: on the same. page. So this one feels like everyone's motivations are exactly the same.
0: I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought up Wes Craven uh, here too because I did want to, and I didn't know how I would work this in here, but I did want to bring up the movie Terminator Salvation. It, Mick G is doing it like a horror movie, mm-hmm. which I found, like, which is something watching it this time I noticed for the first time how much this feels like a, a genre, like a horror movie where the third one doesn't feel like anything. And, you know, the the second one is so much like an action, like a 90s action movie. It's kind of cool to go back to sort of the first one's vibe with this one doing a to- totally new thing, but like felt very like horror-y. Mm-hmm which is cool to see Mitchy do
1: oh yeah especially in the field where that terminator comes and john connor's crawling and just won't quit and he has that up uh-huh. that has the terminator one feel right away where you get the sensation or you get that feeling of like these things won't stop they they're unstoppable you know, yeah they're, they're just gonna keep coming low off one's head you got another one down the street waiting to come get you
3: the
2: threat is more apparent in this one. The
1: threat was so light in the last one. And it was like,
2: oh, are we only afraid of the woman in the red suit? It's not as scary throughout. But this one, it's like those things are everywhere and they're going to get you.
0: <laughs> and there, and there's giant ones. Oh, the big ones. There's flying ones. I love the T-600. They look like fucking nightmare fuel. The like bullet head. hmm exoskeleton scary terrifying like kind of smashed together look of the t-600 uh yeah yeah, i love all these weird terminate they're 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 cool all the different threats in this movie
1: yeah the t-600 has a great nickname too called skin job (laughs) that even sounds like a menacing like horror villain like Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's, it's like michael myers isn't gonna get you but skin job will (laughs) yeah
2: this one's nice because it's like it's finally the story evolving forward Mm -hmm. which is weird because it's like dealing with the past and the future of the past and you know there's a whole bunch of time stuff but like it feels like it's moving forward versus like the last film it just felt like it was doing the same thing but kind of stuck because it can't make confident decisions and where it wants to go and what it even wants to acknowledge from the past. It didn't know if it was a hundred percent on with the first and second films. This one's like, we are pretty much doing everything and we're going to focus on how Skynet would look mm-hmm. like now mm-hmm. during Judgment Day. I feel like they I feel like in the last movie they didn't know what to do with Skynet, and that's why they made it like a computer virus or something. And this one, it's like clearly like, no, there's a malicious intent involved, and this is an action film.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that we get to see like we some of the best snippets from one and two like intriguing snippets, I should say, like the little morsels of the future that we get. Like we get the open great opening scene in two with the exoskeletons walking and crushing mm-hmm. the skulls, and we get to and then we and then we go into the movie. You know, we get these, these flashes of these of this past, and now we finally get a movie where we can exist in that world. And it, and it it was exciting, kind of going in not having seen it before, being like, oh, cool, we're finally gonna get to see the fallout of Judgment Day and like the war mm-hmm. of the, with the machines and everything like that. Finally, and if I think it finally like and it delivered too, like it kind of gave me. In a new, and a different way than I expected, because it wasn't James Cameron's vision of Judgment Day, but in a different way than I expected, we kind of got that movie. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it is really cool, especially like it even kind of echoes James Cameron's like the beginning of T1. We have, you know, the crushing of the tank, which actually has a name like the HK tanks. Crushing OK, the skulls. And in T2, you have the T-800. Well, actually, it's the T-700 crushing the human skull because the T-700 doesn't have the skin the T-800s do, and they're a little Mm -hmm. bit As you can tell, I did a lot of behind the scenes on the...
2: I love it. You could write a thesis on this.
1: (laughs) And then you get into this, and right away, John Connor lands a hotel, lands a hotel, no, uh, (laughs) lands a helicopter on a a T-700 skull. Mm Mm-hmm. Where they're echoing this, you know, like. Image from all the others. Yeah, and I love it. And T3 just goes, oh, right, yeah, that, no, no, we didn't have that. Yeah,
2: there's like no homage to like the art, the vision of it. This one feels like a darker world that was directly a result from T2 uh-huh. in a way. Like, that's where I would assume, like, I would assume that John Connor, that like spunky kid from 2 would grow up to be militant because of his mother. Yeah. And I love that they bring back like the voice
0: of her. Yeah, I think people forget like when they talk about Dark Fate, they're like, Linda Hamilton is coming back for Dark Fate. She's in this one. She's got those two voice, voice clips yeah. that are new voice things. So she participated in this one. <laughs> yeah. Which is more than three. Yeah, it, which is more than three. So at least they got her for this. Uh, even if it is just the voice <laughs> thing. This is tape number 28 of Sarah Connor to my son, John. What's most difficult for me is trying to decide what to tell you and what not to. How should I tell you about your father? Will it affect your decision to send him back in time to protect me,
3: knowing that he is your father? And he'll be younger than you, only a teenager, when you meet him. God, a person could go crazy thinking about this. But if you
1: don't send Kyle, you can never be. And Skynet will win. Yeah, Linda Hamilton read the script for T3 and said no.
0: Yeah, she was like, "No way!" But this one, good yes. for her.
1: Obviously.
0: Yeah, like having her back is nice. I also like like all the little homages that are in this one. Like one of the ones that stands out for me that I really like a lot is when John Connor near the end is kind of putting shit together. And what it, what would he? What would John Connor turn on on the radio? It would be the fucking song from Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. Like I I thought that was nice. I just like that felt like a natural homage. That's fan service in the correct way. That's how you do that exactly. Like and not like the way they had the characters saying lines from the first two and three and just embarrassing themselves. <laughs> no, and they didn't have
1: stupid lines like, to the hand.
0: Right, in this one. Yeah, this one got rid of all the humor and thank God, because like...
1: <laughs> well, it's okay. Like, it's tough to do James Cameron humor like he does in T2. It really is. So I feel like if you can't do it, get rid of it completely like you did in this.
3: Yeah. I think like the...
2: I think what James Cameron does like really well with like his characters and and in, in the film, and like the humor comes out because of everyone's chemistry with one another, yeah it's, it's
0: not exactly it, and it's when not you set up for a joke and mm-hmm, do a joke type and thing when you
2: have a third movie that doesn't really know what it wants to be, and it's like, okay, well, that was funny in this one it's like, no, it's funny because of the interactions like. Arnold saying those, or I keep calling him Arnold. It's just like so casual. Uh, But Arnold, every time he says like something funny, it's because of his interaction with John Connor. He's like, you gotta loosen up. Like you gotta be on our, like you have to act like a human being. And it's really funny because he's giving these like kid slangs to him. There's a, a relationship there. There is a connection there. That's why it's humorous that he's saying it if he's just saying it for literally no reason and no one told him to say it, why the fuck is he saying it? (laughs) So in the fourth one, it completely like just eliminates that problem. It's like, no, we're going to focus on like these. It's a serious time. People are having serious connections with each other. It's not funny, but like we're back on building relationships, Mm -hmm. which is what the whole series should be about. It's the whole thing is like, man versus machine, but it's it doesn't matter which ones each as long as you have a connection, and mm. that's what they prove with the first two, and so then when you just throw it all fucking out the window, there's no interaction that you care about.
1: Yeah, and I wish the only, you know, like, negatives I have to say about this is, like, their human connections between John Connor and his wife. I, oh. Why is it... Why can't we get this right? I, I don't know. I don't, I, why... Well, this one makes more sense to me because they just didn't spend enough time. The last one, they spent plenty of time and it just didn't work. Truly. None.
2: It sucks because like if Claire Danes actually came back, she would have still had nothing to do because she would have just been the pregnant woman who was a doctor. Like Mm -hmm. she's just a doctor and which is fine. But like there she really isn't in it much. And like I don't feel their love. For each other, it truly feels like a relationship that was just born out of convenience because they were in a bomb shelter together. And maybe that's the point. And it could be. And that's fine because, like, I wasn't distracted by their relationship in this one. But truly, it, it doesn't really do anything else for us.
1: They cut out a lot in this film, too. And I think a lot of I have I didn't even know this. I found this out today. I have the director's cut of Salvation.
0: We watched that, didn't we? That's the one we watched.
1: Yeah, and I heard, um, oh, what's his name at the very beginning? Who was missing. Common's brother in the film, but he's in uh, Reno 911. Wow, Terry. Oh, Terry Crews.
2: So he, yeah, he's shown dead at one point.
0: Right, they show him dead at the beginning.
1: So his entire scenes were cut except the dead at the beginning, which was Common's brother and was supposed to be a whole setup of why Common was supposed to be like the irrational one who wanted all this revenge but they cut out terry cruz's entire scenes so that means they had to cut out a bunch of commons where he was talking about getting revenge and why he was being irrational and why also why john connor had to run off and like go to skynet by himself because of the military leaders not wanting him to do it he wanted to delay the attack and common and like, so there was a lot more to this story that was just left in the cutting room floor. Yeah, and
2: that's really interesting because like in the director's cut, they also do not they do not go into the Terry Crews thing. You see him dead. And then I thought it was interesting because I was looking in like the credits. Terry Crews's character had a name. So I was like, there's definitely a deleted scene. Yeah. There's definitely a scene missing because like they just show him dead. They truly don't talk to him at all. I don't believe. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. He's just dead in it. I, the director's cut, I think the only difference is there's more uh, like blood and violence. There's the boob shot that's in the mm-hmm. the to cut. And then there's more fucks in it. That's the only real difference.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly think it's a bullshit director's cut then.
0: Well, I just feel... I think... No, I like the director's cut in that I feel like it is closer to what you know was intended because of the pg-13 of the theatrical cut because i think like having like the fucks in it makes it more normal and Mm -hmm. having those cut out feels weird like it feels like it's being pg-13 you know and then like the gore and the violence stuff it's necessary it is yeah there's not much to the director's cut and like story stuff but at least it's back to like the version it should have
2: been. It should be called an unrated cut versus <laughs> yeah. a director's yeah.
0: cut. Yeah, it doesn't have any new scenes or anything. It's just gorier and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. It's an unrated cut. Mm-hmm. It's not a director's cut. McG got this movie taken away from him in the editing room, and he had no power.
2: Oh, that sucks.
1: Yeah, this is a classic case of like, okay, this is our film. It's two hours and... Oh, it was a long cut, too. It was like a James Cameron-type cut. And then... When McG saw the movie was like, what the fuck is this? Oh, no. This is a classic case of the director did not get enough power in their contract. And it's
2: rough. so unfortunate.
1: It's tough. Sometimes when you trust the production company to do the right thing, they don't.
2: Oh, I feel like most of the time they don't. <laughs> they just want a
1: paycheck. Yeah. So it's rough. There was a lot. And you can tell there was a lot of. So McG wanted to. Let everyone know. We don't do anything just to do it. There is no sound. There is no noise in this movie. That's what he meant. There's no noise. Mm-hmm. There's no um, gristle. There's no you know extra fat. Everything is done for a reason. We have this. We have this. So he was trying to make a chain link movie where this scene builds to this scene. And then this scene creates this. So he had that and it was taken away from him. Well, that means like that's just like nice to hear because
2: he cares about the franchise if like he wanted to include so many things that were not included it just sucks because like he was like no it's going to all come together
1: no so i I think the original cut of this film was two hours and 20 minutes
0: well i'd like to see those other 23 minutes that were cut because i feel like it would make a fuller experience i feel like the second act of this movie sags quite a bit but i think if i had some more context if i had some more scenes that sort of justified why the middle part is more set up and less you know pay off with big explosions and stuff like that if i had a little bit more to chew on i probably wouldn't have you know kind of checked out a little bit during the second act like i tend to do when i watch this movie
1: the theatrical cut is one hour and fifteen minutes and McGee's original cut was one hundred and thirty eight.
2: Wait, one hour and fifteen
0: minutes? No, uh hundred and fifteen minutes.
2: Oh, 150 yeah. I was like, What what? They cut everything.
1: <laughs> no, so it went from one hundred and fifteen minutes or it went from one hundred and thirty eight to one fifteen. Mm. I don't know how long the you know director's quote unquote unrated cut is.
0: It's two more minutes. Oh. It's only two more.
2: Yeah, it's truly just an unrated. It's just some like extra gore and some titties.
1: It's a a classic <laughs> case of bullshit, so they can put more Blu-rays out there so people buy them.
2: Yeah,
0: I think though, we, having seen both the theatrical cut and the director's cut, it, the the two minutes helps. It be it feels more like a Terminator movie because it is a little neutered in the theatrical cut. The fact that there's no blood. And no swearing in the theatrical cut. It's super weird. It feels wrong. So like having that put back in. I feel like the director's cut is the way you want to go. But unfortunately, we'll never see the actual director's cut of the yeah. movie. <laughs> I
1: wonder why. Like if it has to do with like people don't own rights to it anymore, and it's a pain in the ass, and it'll cost too much money. I uh, because Warner Brothers owns all this still, don't they?
0: Well, so- sometimes when they do these you know, the director's cuts and stuff like that, They'll the studio will throw away the stuff they don't end up using. Yeah. So there may be a chance that everything from his cut is gone. So unfortunately, we may never see it. If they saved it, then we could. But if they didn't save it, then we may never.
1: And I would like, why would you ever throw any of that away? Because you could just turn around in 10 years
0: and sell do a special edition. Yeah. Truly. Be- well, usually the studio changes are coming from the studio, and they never want to admit they're wrong. Then that's unfortunately why we'll but never now, see. It. But with the Snyder Cut, this mm-hmm. is now going to change everything.
2: We are now entering a time where directors are getting an opportunity, and I think we will pretty much be able to tell if it's worth it if studios will finally let them do it. Yeah. Um. But if it doesn't do well, then- yeah,
0: the Snyder Cut doesn't really get anything any it, light any fires still a piece of
2: shit like we were expecting this. <laughs> um, <laughs> know, like all the directors we get snyder snyder like oh. i don't give a shit about Zack snyder truly i cannot he has let me down so many times
0: I've, i i'm the he last can be
2: a cinematographer or a visual effects artist he is not a storyteller
0: at all. I'm the last I'm the last one beating the X Snyder drum. I, I really am hoping for the best for him. But yeah, I mean he's let me down time so time many times that I don't know why I'm I keep rooting for him, but you know, I can't help it. I'm still rooting for the guy, but uh
2: you also want to expose like the studios who like change the vision because you're like, well maybe they change his vision so much, and I'm like, No, his vision's still
0: not. Yeah, better. the movie's still gonna <laughs> suck, but like I do wanna see his vision come out. And yeah, it could there could be a ripple effect if this thing's a huge success we could see number four McGee do something yeah there could be a McGee cut that we could that could come out because they might just drop it on streaming like they're doing with the cider cut where it's like that it doesn't cost them anything it's just an upload and then it's more views they're gonna get so like if if snyder cut works we could see more of these mm-hmm.
1: yeah you probably just need regime changes for this to happen where like a new regime comes in and it says like Oh you mean the Terminator Salvation was actually a lot better before they touched it? Well, it's embarrassed the last regime and put it out. Well, also it it is
2: a matter of like when a studio is going to lose a contract mm-hmm. on it, when they're going to lose the rights to it because truly now that films are changing hands so much, it just takes like one higher up at the new studio to be like, "Oh, I like that movie. You want to do something else with it? Go for it." Like it just takes like one mm-hmm.
3: head of a mm-hmm. studio
2: and like it's not that unheard of because these studios are being swallowed up by other corporations constantly. Uh You don't, it's hard to find some studios who has the, who have the rights to things now because like we, do events in the city all the time and
0: it's sometimes you're like i truly don't know who owns this movie. <laughs> yeah it's impossible to find
2: it's crazy but- and,
0: and, and a lot of times it is movies like terminator salvation yeah where they Sequels. came yeah they came out in the middle of something and like it's not the people who owned it at first and it's not the people who own it now and it's like i don't know who the fuck would you know like i wouldn't even know where to begin yeah. with like these kind of movies
1: it's all about litigation The one Mm -hmm. can sue the other one just to keep it on the shelves for an additional two years. So it causes them not to make money. It's it's all just bullshit litigation.
2: Absolutely. But like you never know, like things are changing so fast now that like out of nowhere tomorrow we could hear like an announcement that they're going to put out like this crazy Terminator box set that's going to like complete like, you know, what are those studios that do that or like companies like Arrow a boutique label. Yeah, like yeah. Like, yeah, like you you never know. They could announce there could be something in the works for these movies at any moment because it just depends on who's holding it at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. So this film has fantastic visuals. We've all seen it. I mean, if you want to look at the posters, which really push the Terminator, the T-800s look. Yeah. The T-700, actually, because they're, they're the ones who are kind of like oily and black instead of silver. But by the way, guys, go check out the toys on these or the figurines. They are (laughs) freaking incredible. But going into like the human characters in this, what are, how do we feel about John Connor?
2: I mean, at this specific time when this came out, if you want an action star, like you kind of go with Christian Bale, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is exactly what, you know.
2: I think it's more of like the militant. Right. They write the character well I think for who was casted I think it's a little bit different than what I was imagining like when I first saw T1, T2 like with the Eddie Furlong but like you know what if he is raised by Sarah Connor who is always like you have to be ready tactical like methodical and everything like she is training him I can imagine him turning out to be more militant and I think that Christian Bale kind of matches it pretty well.
1: Yeah I think he does a really nice job is John Connor, and I think he's... Uh, I'm not going to say the best John Connor out of the franchise so far, because you know Edward Furlong, it's kind of hard to compare them, because it's the a child. Because he's a
3: kid, yeah.
1: So I think as an older John he's Connor, the best. He's much better than the last version we got. Of. The one male character I I just don't like, and I've tried... I tried this last time to see what they were trying to do with it. I understand what they're trying to do with the character, but oh. Sam Worthington okay. as the hybrid Terminator, I really can't stand
0: it. doesn't it, it doesn't bother me in this movie. I don't think it's as uh, important as they kind of made it out to be in the movie. In, in the end, that all his purpose served was that like John Connor has a robot heart now. Like, that's really all that it means, you know, that all that pays off of it. I don't think it's weird, but it didn't bother me.
2: I think it's like this cast is a little bit bigger than like how the last cast I truly felt like it was just like the three of them and the enemy. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, it has like more of the military like or the the resistance crew. Mm -hmm. So we do get a little bit more of personality through them. I mean, not a lot. They're like still militant. Like they're all pretty much serious. But like Sam Worthington crazily enough like i've never really liked him and i love avatar which is funny because james cameron he uses him for this project for avatar you know and now he's connected to the terminator
0: franchise james cameron is he said i just worked with this guy on avatar you got to put him (gasps) in the next Terminator." and that's how he got this job and even though avatar like the way they came out or whatever was weird it's because avatar took so long Mm -hmm. but he got this movie because of avatar
2: that's pretty cool. But yeah, I've never really
0: loved him. And I love Avatar,
2: but I've always been kind of... He just like seems suspicious all the time. And I think that maybe is why he's cast in these roles where he's always kind of shady.
0: Yeah. I also think he is kind of a boring blank slate a little bit too. Uh, which is, again, the Terminator thing. They keep doing this in the series. He's like a step under in my opinion, like a Jai Courtney, who we're going to talk about a lot in part five, because uh, really? I can't fucking stand that guy. Um, and he's because he's nothing. Uh, I feel like Sam Worthington is he's got a little bit, but he's like almost to being like nothing like a Jai Courtney.
1: <laughs> no, he's not. He's not Jai Courtney, but he's a he's a version of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah it's, like Sam Worthington I just it's not him it's the character that he's in because clearly when a good director like james cameron gets a hold of him he makes sam worthington look like a leading man uh yes and he's not all the movies i've seen him in he has the look of a leading man but he doesn't have the depth of a leading man
2: i find it interesting that this movie like I i guess like the one kind of negative thing it, it's more of an ensemble movie but that's not the main characters I would still i, I would still say there should be a main character but it is split between um, yeah, Christian
0: Bale um, which
2: is people. crazy because what I think they should have done is if you're going to split it with anyone why would you not split it with Kyle Reese who is in the film
0: yeah that, that was a weird choice and I, <laughs> I really like Anton Yelkin in Anton this movie too. I think he's Yelkin? personifying Michael Bean so perfectly in this movie.
2: Yes, I adore him. Movie. Yes, exactly. Like, but you can tell, like. I don't know, like, it's, it's almost like the Eddie Furlong effect of John Connor, but for Kyle Reese, I mean, he's a little older, but like, mm-hmm. I, I love Anton Yelkin, I loved him, and I've loved him in every single thing he's ever been in, which was so sad that he was taken so young, but like... I know, he's I, 27. I know, it's like, I literally cried the day I heard, because I I've love him, and I think he he brings a little bit of a heart to this movie, that is pretty rigid.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. He brings uh, a lot of energy, too. Mm-hmm. And I love how he plays this character who's looking for a father figure so desperately. <gasps> and it's a <his> son. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. It's so funny because, like, when he sees Marcus say, like, you know, if you're pointing a gun at someone, you've got to be able to use it. And then, like, ten minutes later, he says the same thing to a guy who will kill him. And yeah. Marcus looks over at him like, what the fuck, kid? But he's but that's like regurgitating a father figures like that's what children do. And he's not a child, but you know... He's young just, and naive. He's young and naive and like, he just regurgitates that without thinking because he thinks it's the right thing to say in the situation because he just had it done to him.
2: But I, it's so fun to like see that kind of reaction like him learning how to do it because when we're introduced to Kyle Reese in the first film, he is very matter of fact and extreme like i don't know like he's just like so dramatic and everything but like that's how life is and it's like addicting almost and it's just like he's got this flair for it and i feel like watching him learn it in the past is very fun
1: yeah i mean james cameron does that with his hard-nosed characters is he makes them hard-nosed and then brings their human characteristics out like he did with you know michael bean's character in kyle reese where he was basically a robot. I'm doing this to you know solve this and everything. And then Sarah Connor draws his humanity out. Yeah. And this one's just like Kyle Reese is just a bumbling, stumbling human who's actually pretty good for his age. He's really good at honestly. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to evolve him into the killing machine, Michael Bean. And I love it's fun to see that transition. And I would have really, really loved to see more movies from mcg to see what they would have done but naturally mcg was never going to return to this after what they did and they canceled it so
2: it's so sad that that happened because like i truly could see like a future for like anton yelkin in that role
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i I think that's probably where they were going to go with it and because i mean there was like the symbolism of like with the jacket at the end Mm -hmm. because don't they give him the jacket Mm -hmm. that you see later on it's just like it's beautiful but you also When he's younger, it's nice because it's like, obviously, this is a different character. This is a completely different character years later from the first one. But it's so connected because even in that as a younger person, he's so protective and caring and tender because uh, the the little girl that's Mm, with him all the time. Star. He's like protecting. He's caring for someone. Mm -hmm. And like you can feel his true heart in that. And then when you think of like T1, like he is a hardened person because of what he's seen, but he always wants to protect and care for and like do right by people. And like, he has such a respect for John Connor in the future that he's like, I will do right by him and I will protect you.
1: Yeah. It's what separates Reese from the Terminator. He's not exactly. He's a protector. He's and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I, it would have been really nice to see that fully fleshed out in the future. One of the other characters I had... I, I don't have a problem with Bryce Dallas Howard. She just doesn't have anything to do. But man, Moon Bloodgood's character... Uh, I forget the pilot's name. Okay, so she's a hard-ass...
2: Oh, this girl! Yes. Yeah,
1: she's a hard-ass... Is this the
2: titty
3: girl?
1: <laughs> Oh, does it, it's her boobs that you see? In
2: the we definitely room. see her boobs. Okay, all right. They're nice boobs, by <laughs> the way.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, that's probably why they picked her. No, well, she's actually a good actress too. But you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. How can we find a good actress that will also show her boobs? Exactly. No, she. I mean, like the way
2: she—literally, the exposure of the boobs—is so strange.
1: Well, I'm glad they cut it then. I oh think. God! Like when they show other. Like, I I think even can't remember, honestly, uh, because I'm so involved in other parts of the story. But doesn't Linda Hamilton show her boobs in the first one?
0: In the first one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But everything felt natural. And it's not like I'm like, obviously, I just don't recall that because it just felt natural. Mm. It's like a
2: it's like a very intimate love scene, basically, right? It's during yeah, it's that, the, right?
0: It's the creation of
3: John
2: It's Connor. the creation of John Carter. It feels powerful and epic, and so you're not really focused on her boobs.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just sucks in movies where they're just like, Oh, I'm gonna take off my shirt right now for no reason.
2: Like, Literally, that is just like for some insight, like they they show up to an area and then uh with what's his name marcus and so he's standing a distance away and they're maybe gonna separate yeah paths, and then she just starts taking her clothes off and then looks at him a bunch and that's like it
0: yeah i think she's doing it to try to pick him up or whatever like she's just like, look i'm free i'm just gonna take my shirt off or whatever but like i don't know why
2: it's misplaced <laughs> it didn't need to be in there so that is one thing that i would say that didn't need to be in there unless there was like more to the story that we just didn't see but like there was just, i'm like is this a love interest or no it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of didn't really pay off at all
1: well i i just don't understand her character like she's been fighting the robots all these years since you know the nuclear holocaust and now she gets saved by this marcus guy who's clearly an android or you know clearly a terminator mm-hmm. and then she helps him escape and goes against everyone that she's grown up with and fought with you know they're all brothers and sisters in arms and then you're telling me like just this one instance you're gonna break everything i i, I think the,
0: that. yeah i think what the movie's trying to sell is that she sees the humanity in marcus like he yeah. His humanity changes her mind about Terminators. But I really think what comes across, unfortunately, is that she just wants to fuck this Terminator. So she's letting it it slide. (laughs) It
2: it does feel like there's like a love. Like, that's why I'm saying like, was it supposed to be a love interest? Like, Uh are they supposed to or is she touched by his humanity? I just don't think there's enough time spent on that humanity connection between the two of them to warrant her big decisions
1: yeah because she seems like she could handle herself and she might have got out of that i assume rape situation (gasps) on her own
2: that rape situation is right after she shows her boobs by the way right because those dudes come up um Mm. and so like she's fully clothed there but right before that she's her topless looking at marcus So it's so confusing.
1: So if you're the actress, are you disappointed that they cut out your, your boobs? Or are you really... I've always wondered that.
2: I think it depends on what you thought that scene was for. Oh. Because like so much was cut out of the movie that maybe that scene, maybe there's another moment with between them. So maybe you would be upset that that whole portion was cut out. But if it was only the boobs, I would be fine with it being cut out because it doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, I'm just saying, if I was a dude who worked out like hardcore and you got cut and, I, and it got cut, I'd be like,
2: fuck you. <laughs> yeah, dude, like Terry Crews is ripped as shit and like, <laughs> yeah,
0: he just has to be a dead body. I in mean, this movie.
2: it worked out for his career, anyways, in the long run because now he's like a household name. He's like yeah. really chill. But like, yeah, if I got cut out after doing all that stuff, I mean, it better have been a good paycheck.
1: I hope it was, but yeah. Her character, from what cut I got, it just made no sense. Um, the visuals throughout this entire film are spectacular. Uh, a lot. Of, this is kind of weird when I say this, but a lot of this story just doesn't matter to me because I'm like, yeah, I know it's going to happen.
2: Yeah. Um. I love the image. I think it's closer to the ends. Like this is the one with like the warehouse where they're making them, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What a wonderful backdrop to put into the movie, like where they're literally lined up where all the faces are getting tuned up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's such a wonderful visual and it's kind of haunting and scary. Think of all the horror movies that have those like mannequins in the shop or, or like, mm-hmm. you know, manufactured warehouses or whatever. Like, it's a good trope to throw into something to make it tense and visually cool.
1: Well, and this John Connor is so much smarter than the last one, because when (laughs) the last John Carter went, what do you guys made on an assembly line? That was one of the stupidest lines in the T3. (laughs) And then they show an assembly line of Terminators in this one. I don't know if that's making fun of it or if it's just part of the story and it's kind of funny. But I like to hope. I just think it would be funny to make fun of T three by putting. I I in, wouldn't
2: be like surprised if it. I would not be surprised if it was a direct callback. And also, you said like it's the same writers. At least two yeah. of them. The writers could be like, "Oh, we should do that," or maybe it was always intended to have that, and that's why they did that throwaway line. Or maybe in they the didn't three. write
1: that line and they're mocking it.
2: True. It, it could Maybe. be. They could be making fun of the third person who got booted from the t-
1: <laughs> So, I mean, basically the, the second half of the story is they go to Skynet and they blow it up. We get a sweet ass fight between the T-800 Arnold, which is a pretty good CG Arnold. It's, it's not terrible. Yes.
2: It's pretty good. It's pretty good.
1: For the time,
2: absolutely.
1: Yes. Oh, definitely for the time. But yes. man, this entire industrial layout the uh, practical effects and all the production design thank you all of you people who did that yeah it's crazy beautiful it's so
0: (laughs) well done
2: like the the explosions like uh, there's a lot of practical explosions
0: happening i was even gonna say just like the more like watching this after three and like before five like watching this like in the chronology here. There's so, like I, I realized this time, there's so much practical shit in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's so much.
1: So the uh, T3 had over 600 shots of CG effects. This one only had 400.
2: Excellent. And like this movie feels enormous. Yeah,
0: it, way bigger than three.
1: I truly
2: feel like I can only picture like three sets, for like you were talking about in the last episode, mm. we, we could only picture a couple of set pieces. This one, I feel like they are on a traveling foot journey in uh-huh. a way, where it feels like the world is big. Uh-huh. It's taking into account the world belt building element while also bringing back those characters. And yeah, like the explosions, the actual practical machines that are fighting, it's awesome.
1: <laughs> now, out of all the Terminators in this film, do you two have a favorite?
0: I like the I like the T600 a lot, but I also like the giant one, too. Oh, I love the giant one. And the
1: harvester?
2: When that hand came in, I was like, oh, my word.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do think it's kind of funny that like a 60 foot Terminator snuck up on him, but I like that slide.
2: <laughs> yeah, like the, the trembling of the ground wasn't an issue, but like, I don't know. I think it was just so overly dramatic that it was so funny.
0: Oh, it's fun. Yeah, I don't I don't I never buy I never, you know, let that ruin my experience in a movie because if it's if it's cool, like if the shit's cool, like I I'm like cool, good, that's fine. I and think, when that thing is ripping the people apart uh, and pulling them away yeah. from the whatever set they're in or whatever, it's it's awesome looking, so I don't care. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: The uh gasoline truck that they that's all real. They That's, that's awesome. It's amazing. They've spent so much so much time setting up these amazing practical effects uh, i would say mine is tough because i really do like the moto terminator but oh yeah yeah like the, the motor motorcycle, motorcycle yeah yeah where it's but it, it's right. built for um it's funny too because when i sit there reading about these it's built for um cold weather because it has the ability to maneuver between a bunch of things, it can be fast, it can catch mm. humans, but yeah, and it shows the T ones, but I think I, I think I honestly the T six hundred skin jobs are my favorite because they just look they look like a computer, you know, like a machine trying to make a human and they're like yeah. they made it seven foot tall. Like no like what less than one percent of humans are seven foot tall. What are you thinking?
2: <laughs> yeah, how tall is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Just curious.
1: I think he's like five four. He's not
2: really five four.
1: Well, I mean 64 uh, <gasps> six, six, to six three. Something like oh, started. like
2: you know the you know sometimes I find I out people are super deck. short. <laughs> I did, yeah, because like when I saw like um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jeffrey Rush, I thought was like a giant, and then I saw him in person, and he's the teeniest little man.
1: Yeah, yeah, you never know. Well, you don't. I mean, uh, Tom Cruise is actually only four foot tall. So, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But he's he's, so, he's, so, he's been overcompensating since the '90s. <laughs> but
1: he's so handsome.
2: Oh my gosh!
1: I'm actually trying to find Arnold Schwarzenegger's height.
2: It's secret because he's a government official.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it used to be you could find it easy, but until yeah. he became governor,
2: absolutely.
1: Let's see. Let's put height. He is six two. Okay, short. Oh, he's only
2: one inch taller than me.
1: Yeah,
0: interesting.
2: I could look him in the fucking eyes. I could look a Terminator in the eyes.
1: That's right. But could you match his gravitas?
0: I think I could. I think okay. you could.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. Any other characters or storylines that you would bring up from this? No. It's funny because, like,
2: yeah, it is so much a visual. Like, I think the story did fine. I think it was a good recovery from Uh 3 I'm disappointed that they couldn't. It's always sucks when they like do, they rely so heavily on the performance of like a reboot kind of thing. Mm. And then they don't give it enough time to see where they can go. Because a lot of times like a reboot, and I know this isn't like a full, this isn't a reboot, but like, I don't know. It's like almost like that first film in a trilogy that you have proposed it has to like be your mission statement for everything and so it doesn't have enough time to become its own thing Mm -hmm. and so i think a second part of this would have been really awesome
0: yeah i think the second part of this would have nailed it i think terminator salvation 2 would have been Mm -hmm. the terminator 2 of this part of the franchise (laughs) unfortunately and if mcg would have came back definitely i think would have nailed it i think the the second one of this series would have been so fucking cool
1: yeah it would have been nice to see it i really wish we would have got to see it uh but i mean he spent he didn't spend all of it but 200 million dollar budget on this wow It's got to go like 50 million of that easily has to go to the practical effects.
0: Oh, I was like, was, well, and then the digital
2: effects yeah, the, too the, because the, the digital yeah. effects were
0: good. I'm sure Christian Bale wasn't cheap. No. Especially at that at this, time? Yeah, bat, right after Batman. Yeah, I think.
2: Oh, this was right after Batman? right after
0: Dark Knight. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I this that. is this is the meltdown movie though. Like Yes. This yes. this is the one that the legendary Christian Bale meltdown out set mm. happened. So that's
2: yeah. embarrassing. And play the clip. I want you off the
3: fucking set, you prick. I'm sorry. Now don't just be sorry. Think for one fucking second. What the, the fuck are you doing? Are you professional or not? Yes, I am. Do I fucking walk around and rip that? No, shut the fuck up, Bruce. Do I want? No, no. Don't shut me up. I'm up. Am I going to walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene? Then why the fuck are you walking right through? Ah, uh, da-da-da-da, like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you? <laughs>
1: <There> you
3: <go>. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. so funny.
1: He's very angry. He did end up doing a public apology and bringing, like, the, the guy that needed it to on TV. So at least we got that.
2: You know what? He was, like overnight. I mean, not overnight. He's been acting forever, but like, Dark Knight changed his career.
0: Yeah, but made him a superstar. Truly.
2: Like, even the first Batman didn't do, or Batman Begins, it didn't do what Dark Knight did for his career. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how famous he was. So the amount of pressure that bitch was probably under, and like...
0: And he's a method actor, and he was playing intense in this movie, so like... Yeah. I I don't fully blame him for yelling at the guy. I feel like it was just a bad was a
2: bad day.
0: Yeah, in, in, in a life like, you know, meteoric rise but and an intense performance. So.
2: But if I was in the moment, I would be like, hey, no matter what you're going through, you don't treat like, people like shit. You don't talk to right. people like that. But the fact that he went out like, I mean, it may have just been his publicist to say like, hey, apologize and like, be cool. But like, I don't know. I'm trying to get Matt to watch Ford
1: versus Ferrari. It's pretty good.
0: I need to watch it. So he's Specifically, he's really good. At yeah.
1: This is one of the more forgettable Danny Elfman tracks, even though this is a ton better than T three.
0: I agree. It's not like it doesn't have like a super memorable music. But it
2: sounds kind of like just a specific action thing that is appropriately matching
0: what is happening. Right. It's a much better than three. It gives the movie the pulse it needs. It's it's there. It incorporates the old score, does new stuff. I think it's good. It's serviceable. Yeah, I liked it, but it's not super memorable. But I can't remember a sound from three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
1: so this actually has one of my favorite editors in Conrad Buff.
0: Coming back from two, he co-edited part two. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah, so he's got, you know, like, he needed the last Boy Scout, which I always think was really well done, too. Uh, True Lies. He's got... And he did Titanic, of course, where he became uh, He could do whatever he wanted after that. But he still did smaller movies, which I do love. Because he did Harsh Times. And he did a few other ones. But he's also done monster movies, you know, like Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so he's a really interesting editor. And he's very good at slowing the pace down, speeding it up, slowing it down. He reads the script and the uh, environment or, you know, like what's going on, the atmosphere of the scene. Very Mm -hmm. well. He's just done a few movies, which I, you know, like training day, which no one ever talks about the editing in training day, but training day is nowhere near as good without the editing. He's such like an old school eighties, early nineties, like dirty editor. Mm -hmm. He has this harsh cut ability to make it flow. Well, even mm-hmm. though his cuts are harsh
2: it's, it's almost like grungy versus like non or like non-intentional yeah
1: yeah I wish I knew more about editing to like say what I'm trying to you know what I see but I can't I can't put it in there but if you look he also did Dante's Peak which anyone who's part of Dante's Peak <laughs> I love
2: <laughs> that's so funny uh, so. Well, that's really cool that he like is coming back from the project because then he already has like a like a bias. He like he yeah. already has like a, a vibe. That's why I feel like this one kind of returns to like because think about how like depressing. I mean, two is awesome, but it's depressing.
0: Yeah, and this yeah this one just feels honestly. I really could wipe three out of existence because one, <laughs> two, this. All and maybe it is through having people come back like the editor and stuff like that. But the, this feels like the complete trilogy to me. It's it's one two salvation like that. <laughs> like yeah. it's it feels complete to me with this with this one and maybe having somebody come back from two to edit it helped helped that.
1: The cinematographer they had on there too. He he just does a bunch of dirty movies also where um stuff like *Act of Valor*, *Deadfall*. Where he does these movies that are, well, he did the Babysitter too, so fantastic uh, and Rim of the World from Mick G. So he's he understands what Mick is trying to put on tape, which is or I guess it's not film anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah, were no, there all is together.
2: there is something to say behind like a team, like a really efficient team is everyone's on the same page, like we were talking about earlier. Like if you have people who know exactly what you're making it's gonna be more successful i don't think they knew what they were making in the third film Mm -hmm. i don't know if they they were like should we reboot it should we only acknowledge the past should we do our own thing this one's like okay we're gonna like pretty much follow the story of the future right and this is the vibe of where it was going Mm -hmm. that's why i don't think it's so weird to have like christian bale as john connor like I could imagine a world where he was so caught up in preventing Judgment Day that he became a very militant force, mm-hmm. and and, it, and more rigid. And I think it just works
1: well. And before we leave, we have to mention Mr. Michael Ironside. You're barely in the film, but <laughs> he's you. not in it. Where what was he doing?
0: <laughs> just well, he has to be the person in the resistance that is like the The old school view of the resistance and like you know christian bale wants to make real change and he's gotta be like oh he's the staunch old he's the boomer john connor prophesized leader of the resistance soldier you put every man and woman in this sub in jeopardy with your little frogman stunt what the hell are you doing here what did we find down there we found a solution Connor, that can end this war once and for all (laughs) Skynet's a machine, and like all machines. It has an off switch.
1: Still love you, Michael Ironside. Yep. Character's useless, almost, almost, but uh, still love you. So, do we have anything else before we go on to the museum? No. I think I'm good.
0: This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. It belongs in a museum.
1: So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out like Indian in the film jungles and bring something back to our Terminator wing of the museum. Last time I let Ashley go first and then I'm going to I'm gonna go first this time. And Sounds then Matt, good. you still get to be number two, but Angela, you get to finish it off. I'm going to go with putting a guy in a suit for the T600. Thank you. I love it. Any time it's a RoboCop esque, I'm going to love it. <laughs> And he's just roaming around in stilts and this giant sweaty suit. Oh, the the skin jobs were my favorite,
2: for sure. I feel like in just the museum, like for your Terminator wing, it's just going to be all of the suits and everything. Like, how <laughs> yes. can you not? How can you
0: not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you're gonna put the if you're gonna put the T six hundred, which I also love, I'll put in the giant one because i thought it was fucking cool like it was so cool um and, and it just it represents i think a whole slew of just like cool imagery you know uh i like the world we're in so the world building was very effective i think it's representative of those things a lot that i really liked about this movie that make this one stand out for me so i'm putting i'm gonna put in the giant one also it feels very full moony so i like that too <laughs> it also
1: has like an 80s uh toy vibe
0: yes yeah. yes
1: it has like the uh moto terminators coming out of its legs yes and the wasp coming out of its back mm-hmm. those like uh little digital little things yeah flying terminators
2: which is my nightmare i think <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's very cool. Oh, man, that would be a badass toy to to have. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I, think, I feel like this movie like really got it back on the, the zone of like a franchise where you mm-hmm. could market it. Uh-huh. It was marketable. Well, for what I'm going to put in there, it's another item of clothing. Nice. Um, I'm going to put in the Kyle Reese jacket. Because well, cause it's bestowed upon him in this movie at the end. And also as like a little sad little homage to Anton Yelkin. Because yeah. like I adore him. And he was a really good part of this movie. I'm happy he was cast as Reese. And I'm really sad that we didn't get to explore that character further in like a
1: trilogy or something. Yeah, but
2: yeah, but the it. jacket, it's just like so iconic.
0: I like it.
1: Yeah, the production design with all their costumes did a really well, really well done job
2: oh yeah like I wasn't distracted by anyone's costume like in the f- the third one
0: like right. I was distracted so the whole silly. time <laughs> yeah this no everybody looks good here everybody looks right
1: <laughs> correct Okay, that'll end it this week. Let's remind him one more time about the AF High List.
2: Yeah, you guys can check Matt and I's other podcast out. It's the AF High List, A-F-H-I-G-H-L-A-S-T, where we get really stoned and watch some prestigious films. You can check us out there. We also have an Instagram. It's just AF High List.
0: And Uh, we're a lot sillier than we were today because we're stoned I don't know.
2: Sometimes we get very serious and Uh heady because like... The three of us have this in common. We just love talking about movies. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Whether we're stoned or not. (laughs) But if you are looking for an episode to start out, I would highly recommend the Star Wars episode with Steve because it was so fun. Yes. And hilarious. Um, but yeah, any we have tons of movies that are like technically part of big franchises. So uh-huh. start. We just did Jaws, and it's summer right now. So
1: yeah, go give a listen. All right, check that out. I know they're on Podbean and iTunes
2: and uh, Spotify now, and Google Play.
1: All the things.
2: All of the things. I I took a second. I took a day, <laughs> and I fig- I set it all up.
1: <laughs> okay, so Matt and I are going to uh, motor off like the Moto Terminators and go on to Terminator Genesis. And <laughs> terminator dark fate uh i'm wondering are you are you mocking that we have to listen to genesis
2: um i think it's just like hilarious because every time you say it i see how they spell it
1: <laughs> and it's like just but it's
2: just embarrassing it's just like wild to me and i have not seen either of those which i'm sure i will like be a backseat like watcher as matt is like refreshing himself because he's seen both of them but i, I will watch it and i will g- gladly not talk about it with you guys. <laughs>
1: I still haven't watched it. Uh I got Either of them? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> so funny. I'm going to I have like a dark fate I kind of want to, you know, rewatch. I haven't seen it since it came out. Genesis I don't want to watch, but I will. Of
2: course. Can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts.
1: <laughs> I just hope we don't fall asleep during the podcast
0: yeah right oh my god we'll just o- do a 20 minute one <sighs> talk about going all downhill from here <laughs> yep.
1: okay so we'll return next week with the genesis intro or you know introduction or whatever I don't care we're doing genesis next week and no one's looking forward to it <laughs> 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 so remember to be kind
0: everyone everyone